0: I'm glad you're here today. We've got folks in our church in Mexico and Germany and Texas and just all over the place. So I'm glad you came. Uh, otherwise, I'd be preaching to the praise band, you know, uh, you know, preaching, something like preaching to the choir, I guess. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank uh, you. Today's message is kind of part two of the message that I did last week. Uh, Last week we saw that spiritual leaders and by extension all believers are to be servants. Uh, Jesus used the phrase that we are not to lord over other people. Instead we're to build up one another. Today I want to look at the subject of how do we deal with the enemies of the church? Now, since the people are the church, how do we deal with our enemies as believers? There was an ancient Chinese general by the name of Sun Tzu who said this, Know thy enemy and know yourself. In a hundred battles, you will never be defeated. Know your enemy. That's really good advice. I think General Patton said something uh, very similar to that as well. So who are the enemies of the church? Who are our enemies? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. That's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, let's see what the Bible has to say. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now the King James Version that I grew up with starts off, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The word wrestle means to be in conflict, to engage actively into fighting. And who are we not in conflict with? Flesh and blood. So let's get very specific, shall we? What has flesh and blood? Well, dogs, cats, people, okay? Well, it can't be dogs because dogs are man's best friend, right? Right? So it can't can't be dogs. I think it's interesting that diamonds are a girl's best friend, but we're stuck with a dog. Okay? Yeah, I think that explains something. Yeah. Cats. Now, I think cats would really like to take over the world, but they're so independent, they can't get organized, you know. So... No, no, it's not dogs and cats. It's people. We do not fight against people. let me be really specific this morning or this afternoon. Our enemy is not the current president of the United States. Our enemy is not the previous president of the United States. Senators and legislators are not the enemies. The Supreme Court or any lesser courts are not the enemies. The governor is not the enemy. Special interest groups are not the enemies. The sanitation committee or commission is not the enemy. The the building department code enforcement bureau is not the enemy. And contrary to at least two Disney movies that I saw, the enemy is not the dog catcher. Okay. So, who are the enemies of the church? If it's not people, what's left? Well, again, going back to that Ephesians 6 12 passage, says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Who are our enemies? They're evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. If you're taking notes, underline the word unseen. Okay? We're, we're, our enemies are the, the mighty powers of this dark world, the evil spirits in heavenly places. Now, I could break that down and dissect it, but that would be a sermon in itself, okay, as to what it's talking about there. For today, we just want to note that the enemies that we are fighting are the unseen, evil rulers, evil authorities, evil spirits, the mighty powers of the unseen world. They are the enemies of the church. Why? This is going to be the most important thing I'm going to say all day. All right? So if you don't get anything else, get this. Okay? Why are we fighting against these unseen forces. Here it is. The material and seen world is controlled by the immaterial and unseen world. Okay? We thought we were in control of things, didn't we? Uh Uh-uh! The unseen world controls the seen world. So fighting with people It's kind of like putting a Band-Aid or... or, Now let's use this one today. Like putting makeup on somebody with measles. Okay? You're not doing a bit of good, but you're doing something. Okay? Uh, We're not getting to the real problem if we are not dealing with the real enemy. But how do we fight an unseen enemy well let's go to ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 first of all the prerequisite for the battle ephesians 2:10 a final word be strong in the lord and in his mighty power we cannot do battle with the spiritual realm in our own strength and in our own wisdom Okay, the, the power has to come from God. So that means we need to acknowledge, first of all, that we can't do it. Only God in and through us can do it. We need to acknowledge our human weakness because earthly means, methods, and motivation will never defeat the, enemy. the works of the flesh, which according to Galatians chapter 5, include hostility, quarreling, outbursts of anger, and jealousy will never, ever, ever, ever be successful. We do not defeat the enemy in the flesh. The power we need can only come from God. And for those who say, well, doing something is better than doing nothing. They don't understand how much damage doing something can do. Untrained, unprepared, impotent believers are no match for Satan. So many Christians really never get back past this prerequisite stage. They never get the power of God in their lives. That's the prerequisite. Now, the preparation. Preparation is found over in Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 17. It's kind of a lengthy passage. I'm sure you've heard it before. Let me read it again for you, okay? It says, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy, In the time of evil, then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul uses this metaphor, which his original readers, okay, back in the first century, would have completely understood. Okay? And, and if we've watched enough movies, like Spartacus and some of those, then we get an idea, too, of of what he's talking about. Person in that time could not go out to battle without putting on their armor first neither could they fight a battle while putting on the armor okay putting on the armor was preparation putting on the armor is not doing spiritual warfare that's just getting ready to do spiritual warfare Now, the study of the armor, that's another whole sermon uh, for another time. But what we need to note that putting on the armor isn't really doing the battle. So what is the battle? How do we battle the enemies? Well, the believer has two weapons to do the true warfare. Going back to that Ephesians passage, Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, I was taught and used to think that there was only one weapon the believer had. And that is what is called the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay? All the rest are you know, defensive pieces. The, the breastplate, you know, that's to defend against strikes to the body, the helmet. That's to defend against strikes to the, to the head. And I used to think, okay, we got one weapon and it is the word of God. I mean, didn't King David say, I, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you? That was in defeating temptation. We're talking about something more here, fighting spiritual enemies. And so we need the second weapon. And the second weapon is prayer. It's not a backup to the word. It works alongside of it. The word and prayer Working together are our weapons against the unseen powers and forces that's the enemy of the church. He says here, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Spiritual warfare isn't done on the picket line. It's done on bended knees. Spiritual warfare uh, it is something that has to include prayer and the word. And we have a great example in the Bible. I mean, Jesus is the greatest example, but we got another human being, someone like you and me, who's a great example of doing this warfare. it's found in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. It's a man called Epaphras. And it says this about him. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now it says Epaphras wrestled in prayer. That's the same word that we saw before where in the King James Version says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Epaphras was wrestling in prayer. He was fighting against the unseen, immaterial world on behalf of those in the seen and material world. And I believe if we want to make a real change in the world, okay, we need to be like Epaphras. We need to wrestle in prayer. We need to fight in prayer against the unseen and material world. Well, that's a nice generality, okay? But I like details. They say the devil's in the details. Well, here it's God that's in the in the details, okay? Uh, Let's look at how it actually works. Let's look at the battle. And it's found over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Here we read, it is true, we live in a body of flesh. But we do not fight like people of the world. We do not use those things to fight that the world uses. We use the things God gives to fight with, and they have power those things god gives to fight with to fight with destroy the strong places of the devil we break down every thought and every proud thing that puts itself up against the wisdom of god we take hold of every thought and make it obey christ now again we have first of all the same truth here Our warfare is not fleshly. Our warfare is spiritual. We are not praying against people. I've been to prayer meetings where where Christians were basically calling upon God to send fire and hail and whatever down on other people. Okay? Uh, Consume their... Perceived enemies. They were were like James and John. Rush and I were talking about that for the service. You know, the sons of thunder that we looked at last week. We pray against not people, not organizations. We pray against Satan and his dominion. We identify our true enemies and we pray against them. Our warfare is not fleshly, it is spiritual. And it says here that our prayers need to be Spirit-led. In that Ephesians 6 passage, it says we're to pray in the Spirit. Now again, that's a whole other sermon that uh, we don't have time to go into. But basically it's this, we allow the Holy Spirit to direct our prayers. Because we don't know how to pray as we must. We must allow the Holy Spirit to direct them. We pray by faith, not by sight. We acknowledge that we don't know how to pray as we must, so we ask God to to direct our prayers correctly. That's part of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the believer and probably one of the most neglected uses of the Holy Spirit within us. We don't ask him to direct our prayers. We have our prayer list, we go down our prayer list, we pray for the people on it, we say amen, and we go our way. When God's saying there, I got somebody I want you to pray for. Take time. A lot of prayer is spent listening, not talking. It says this spirit-led warfare praying pulls down the strongholds of Satan. So now we need to identify what are strongholds. Okay. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it breaks it down there. It says, we break down every thought and proud thing that puts itself up against the wisdom of God. We take hold of every thought and make it obey Christ. Put as simply as I can, strongholds are Satan's lies. Satan's lies. It's everything that's against the wisdom of God. The the King James Version uses the word imaginations. And and imagination is something that seems real, but but it has no substance to it. And that's what Satan's lies are. He, He gets us to think that something is real that isn't real. Uh, imaginations are in the mind. Uh, imaginations are, are incorrect reasonings or thought. The, the battlefield is in the mind. And every thought and every idea that is contrary to God's truth can become a stronghold. Every lie of Satan, we believe, is a building block. And if you get enough building blocks together you can build a fortress and that lie becomes a fortress so that we no longer believe the truth and I believe that's what's happening in the world today we look at current events and we're saying how in the world can they possibly believe that is something good fill in the blank whatever you want there okay That is a stronghold of Satan. A lie of Satan. And the world has built a, a towering fortress to keep out the truth. And you know what? All of our fighting, all of our arguing, all of our fleshly weapons cannot tear down those lies because they are strongholds. Spiritual warfare is casting down the lies of Satan by praying the truths of God's word. Let me say that again. That's probably the second most important thing I've said. I know you had to wait a long time to get number two. Okay. Spiritual warfare is casting down the lies of Satan by praying the truths of God's word. What's the desired role, result? What, 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 are we, what are we working for here? In Second Corinthians 10.5, again, it says, we break down every thought, every proud thing that puts itself up against the wisdom of God. We take hold of every thought and make it obey Christ. Breaking down thoughts, taking hold of every thought. Once the Holy Spirit has revealed a lie, then our focus can go to the truth. Now, I'm going to guess maybe, oh, seven, eight, maybe nine years ago. No, 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 excuse me, it was seven. It was between Pastor Cody and Pastor Chad. I preached a series on, on the lies of Satan and the truths of God. I'm sure you remember all of them. Yeah. Breaking or before people can accept the truth, you have to break down the lie. Okay? We can't break down lies. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Once the Holy Spirit has revealed the lie, then our focus can be on the truth. It's not enough just to identify the lies of Satan. The lie has to be replaced with the truth. And this is all done in prayer strongholds of truth replaces strongholds of lies. So here's how it works in our personal life. Over in James chapter 4, verse 7, says, so give yourselves to God, stand against the devil, and he will run away from you. When we stand against Satan, we resist his lies by proclaiming the truth. And if Satan has built up a stronghold in your life, then stock up on scripture that counters the lie of Satan. In John 6.32, it says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? Set you free from the lies of Satan. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, the temptations in your life Are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so you can endure. Now, I have one little problem with this translation because it says He will show you a way out. In the Greek, it says He will show you the way out. There's one way out of the temptations of Satan. Because Satan's temptations are always based on a lie. Okay, How do we counter a lie? With the truth. The way to escape is by believing the truth, affirming the truth, holding on to the truth that is counter to the lie. Do you know the lie, the real lie that Satan told Eve in the garden? It wasn't about the fruit hanging on the tree. That was secondary. The real lie that Satan told Eve in the garden was, you can't believe God. That was really the underlying lie. Has God really said, oh, no, you won't die. What's he doing? He's saying, don't believe God. Don't trust God. God isn't the source of truth. I'm the source of truth. Believe me, believe what I have to say. Satan's real success is getting believers not to believe God. Hence the term unbelieving believers oxymoron but this does this apply to overcoming the enemies of God especially if, if they're in positions of authority you know th- these are the people that we mistakenly think are the enemies of the church and, and I would guess that a number of you when you heard the sermon topic, you know, about how do we defeat the enemies of the church, thought of a person or a position. In Romans 13, 1, it says, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Now, the Greek word, for all, in that phrase, for all authorities, the Greek word for all means all. <laughs> okay? Every single one without exception. Now, you got to remember, when Paul penned these words, they were under the very corrupt and very hostile to the church Roman Empire. So we can't wiggle out of this by saying, you know, Paul is only talking about if the leaders are godly, then we have to obey them. No. Rebellion is a part of our old sinful nature. I made a mistake once. I was with a group of pastors. I was young, stupid, you know. And I said to them, You know, I'm a bit of a rebel. And one of the older pastors afterwards took me aside. He says, I I got a project for you. I want you to go to the book of Proverbs and write down everything it says about a rebel. And then come and we'll talk about it. So I did that. Do you know in the book of Proverbs, there's not one good thing said about a rebel? It's all bad. All right. Rebellion is in the heart of a fool. And I just said, I'm a rebel? Okay. Well, we had a little talk, and since then, I've never told anybody I'm a rebel again. Okay? Because rebellion is part of that old sinful nature. We have a natural tendency to want to resist and to resent authority. But you know what? God uses imperfect people to carry out his perfect plan. That's probably the third most important thing today, okay? God uses imperfect people to carry out his perfect plan. Think. Pharaoh, okay? Imperfect people, you better believe that, (laughs) okay? God used them to get the children of Israel back up into the promised land again. Judas, yeah, imperfect person. God used him to get Jesus to the cross where he died to pay the penalty for our sins. God uses imperfect people. So if our authorities in our life, whoever they are, are imperfect, that doesn't mean God isn't using them to accomplish his will. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by goodness and dignity. That word all there in the Greek, guess what it means? (laughs) All, all authorities, we're to pray for them. What do we pray? For God to smite them? No. Pray for their salvation. Okay. Pray against strongholds of Satan. Lies that they are believing are true. Yeah, you know, we can argue till we're blue in the face and never change someone's mind. I found that out early in my marriage. But you know what? God has no limitations. No limitations. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. Now, in fairness to the context, okay, Solomon was the king. He's talking about himself and that that God can direct his mind where he pleases. But, But what authority is strong enough to resist God? Today we have a very unique situation. We have a situation that the early Christians would have, I almost said died for, but they died for their situation. But something that they never dreamed of having, and that is, We elect our leaders, the government. Okay? When I say we, who am I talking about? I'm talking about you and you and you and you and you and me. Okay? Who are we? We are people. Okay? We are people who vote. If all... This is wild. Okay? But if every voter was a Christian... Guess who we would have in leadership positions? If the majority of the people were Christians, guess who we would have in leadership positions? Guess what we need to do? It comes under the title of evangelism. Okay? Our job is to get people saved. Not so that we can manipulate them in voting the way we want them to vote. No, okay. We we want to get them saved so they can go to heaven. Okay. Spend eternity with God. As a side benefit from that, though, they now would have the indwelling Holy Spirit within them to direct them. Wherever. Wherever. Doesn't mean everybody's going to vote the same but if the church really wants to defeat the enemies of the church, then we need to bring people to Christ who can change their hearts. That's how we defeat the enemy. Okay? Let's keep the main thing. The main thing. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for times where We we want to do your work in the world's way. And Father, it's doomed for failure. Not only will it not succeed, but it keeps us from doing what we really need to be doing. And that is sharing the gospel with people. And then allow you to lead and direct in their life. So Father... May we not be like the church in the book of Revelation that lost their first love and went off and pursued after other things that they loved. Father, may I love for you. May our commission to go out and share the gospel so that people can get saved and then disciple them. Father, may that be the main thing for us, until that day when we can no longer breathe, or that day when you appear in the sky for us. May we be faithful to your calling. I pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen.